I'm Sean Rutke. Welcome to Speaking From Water, episode four. Today, we travel to South Africa and meet Alan van Geisen. Alan is an incredible world-class photographer with years and years of experience and is basically the dude in Africa. In fact, he's probably the dude in the entire world. He has done surf photography for all magazines across the world and is a true legend. Join us now. All righty. Yeah, it'll just be like this. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And one, one thing while I, before we begin, um, my son stayed home from school today with light fever. So he's napping. He might wake up in the middle of this, in which case I might bring him in here and we'll continue on. And you're a father of three also. So I know you know the deal. Yeah, perfect. Sick. Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and, and speaking with us. You're a, you're a true legend in the game and um, you're very valuable with your time. And um, we thank you over here in America for kind of imparting your background and knowledge uh, to this sport of water photography and art. So um, with, with, with that said, uh, first of all, how are you and your family doing in these times? Yeah, we um, yeah, it's been a it's been a tough year, but we've uh, I also felt like we've grown so much, and we've been we feel very blessed. You know, like there were last year and this year, there were two times when things got really tough, and you know, one wonders what what the future holds. But um, yeah, we feel very blessed that uh, we've been provided for, and during that time, just kind of focusing on each other as a family, and yeah, the the future's looking really bright at the moment, and work's coming a little bit. So yeah, we. Very stoked, you know. I think um, you just realize uh, through these times that we don't have control over what the future holds. We never did, and as a contributor or a freelancer, shall I say, every year in January I have the same kind of feeling. Over the last twenty years, you know, you just wonder what does any year hold. And um, with COVID, it's felt a bit more like that instead of just once a year. So, I, you know, sometimes it just takes a bit more faith. And we, um, but yeah, I'm very, we we all healthy and well, and that's really what matters. So, thank you for asking. And are you still in lockdown in South Africa? Uh, no, not at the moment. Um, we, we're still within one of our five levels. We're, we're at level one. And, you know, every time there's like a big kind of festive season period, um, our government and our president has, has risen that level up to, to be cautious, you know, with people traveling a lot. And especially we, we've got a very bad uh, kind of reputation with regards to accidents on the roads with um festive season and drinking so we'll probably have the alcohol limits like basically cancelled again and you won't be able to buy any alcohol and stuff like that so it's just minor things that will make a big difference though for the you know people's lives but they're minor to, to to our lives you know we can we can live without that stuff but i think this year the biggest thing was when the beaches were closed and i mean none of us could work my, my profession relies on the beaches being open and um, also we live at the beach, so it made it a little bit tricky, but yeah, we, we're not in lockdown right now. Um, there's many places in the world where things are a lot more difficult, um, but uh, yeah, otherwise good. Excellent, so good to hear. Um, let's, uh, let's start with your beach, your surrounding area. Can you paint the picture for us? What, what is, what is uh, jo Johannesburg like, your, your immediate uh, vicinity, the beaches, the headlands, um, how, how are the breaks there? Sure thing. So yeah, so I actually live down in Cape Town, okay. and um, uh, Cape Town is, is is a very coastal area. We actually I live just on the west coast of a peninsula, and on that peninsula, there's there are spots pretty much every day you can find a, a spot that's offshore. 
which we're very, very grateful for. So we actually have the cold Atlantic Ocean, which is uh, hardly ever sleeps. There's waves all the time. And then about 100 kilometers up the East Coast is where the officially the Indian Ocean starts. But in that 100 kilometer stretch, the kind of the oceans kind of mingle and they, and they, they, they amalgamate. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, Cape Town has been awarded for almost 10 years in a row as like the city in the world to be um, as a vacation place. Uh, it's really beautiful. I would say it's amongst the top five most beautiful places in the world to come to as a vacation. So being able to live here really is, is a massive privilege. Um, we've, got, we've got these beautiful high mountain ranges that then go into the ocean with beautiful white sandy beaches. And generally the water is really clean in summer. Um, it's also quite cold. Um, we, in the height of summer, because we have this, this amazing phenomenon, which is called upwelling. So when the wind blows really hard offshore, it brings up this cold nutrient rich water from below and the water can drop down to single digits in, uh, in Celsius. So we get to like eight or nine degrees Celsius which is like full gloves, boots and hood. Um, and then in, in the winter time, which sounds like it should be cold, the winter, the water actually gets a bit warmer and then you can be in a three, two. So, you know, and then like, South Africa is an interesting place. We should really have a time zone difference because on the East coast in Durban, um, on the other side of the country, that's the water so warm, you can be in board shorts. So it's very tropical. So it's a really great mix, you know, South Africa, if you any, speak to anybody who's been to South Africa or lives here, they'll tell you we are so diverse in, in, our, in our makeup in every which way from the people, the cultures, the surf, you know, the, the ge geography. Um, it's a really beautiful melting pot and a rainbow nation of all kinds of mixtures. So, yeah, we, you know, we, we've got to celebrate these things. And it's a bit sad that, you know, there are a lot of people and governmental political players that use those differences to try and separate us. But, um, you know, since 1994, you know, we've come a long way, I think, since Nelson Mandela and apartheid was finished. And it's just, you know, if you, if you take politics away and you just look at actually how people are living, it's really beautiful to see people more and more coming together and, and, and celebrating these differences and, and, and bringing it together, you know. So, yeah, South Africa is an incredible place and Cape Town is, is really, really beautiful. And um, it's a great place to be a photographer. Well said. It's so beautiful. It sounds like um, I, I want to re rewind the clock a little bit and um, and start with uh, your, your beginnings. Uh, where where what's your origin story? Where are you from? Uh, how did your upbringing um, take you to to the uh, amazing person you are today? Yeah. Um, so I mean, my upbringing from humble beginnings. Um, uh, I've uh, my mom and dad. They lived about. 45 minutes from the sea. So the sea and the ocean weren't a part of my life when I first grew up. And um, we lived in a normal suburban area, um, which we call over the mountain, because the mountain range back in the, in the flatlands there. So away from the sea. But yeah, my dad was a, a, a working class doctor at the state hospital. And my mom was a teacher. And I've got three younger sisters. Uh, I'm the eldest, and they're all two years apart. Um, and I spent my life at school doing all kinds of sports and music. I was very grateful. My mom really made sure that we as kids were, uh, you know, kind of put out with musics and sports and, and academics. So there was just a great all-roundedness and I've always loved the creative side of things. So I did a lot of art and music at school and then I loved the sports and uh, there was some sort of affinity with water from the, just from my swimming time. And then a few years down the line, I remember we went to surf life saving in South Africa 
and Australia, New Zealand surf lifesaving at the coast. It's quite a big thing. And I got pulled into that and I spent every weekend at the beach. And that's where the love affair for the ocean really kind of hooked me in. And I've said this in stories before, but because Cape Town is so beautiful and because we've got so many different beaches, I think I really got to see that world of the ocean, the beaches, cultures and people um, in, in an interesting light, both as an active person as, and as a creative person. And that really kind of, kind of met in a beautiful way in the high school where I thought, man, I've got to try and capture this all, you know, and I bought a very basic little Instamatic camera and that's kind of how the photography thing started. Um, I remember also we used to ride a lot of waves at Surf Life Saving on different crafts. Um, they weren't your traditional surfboards and bodyboards, but that very quickly kind of got me to surfing and bodyboarding. And um, there was a lot of body surfing involved. And I think just being at that low level um, of being in the ocean, you got to see that world differently. And, you know, you'll hear a lot of the great water photographers in the world were surf lifesavers or bodyboarders just because of uh, you know, that, that view that they used to always get from such a low angle. And um, yeah, I mean, surf lifesavings and photography all kind of came together. And I started taking photographs of my bodyboard friends, my surf friends. And, um, you know, it, it only took one picture to be published in the South African surfing magazine, Zigzag, for me to be like, wow, if I can make this happen, this is what I want. And, and I, I um, also have done uh, surf life saving, and I understand the competitive nature of it combined with the positive uh, regarding and camaraderie each has for, for one another. Um, how, how did that uh, also relate to um, getting into the, uh, the surf photography? And it, was there a, a kind of a coalescence? Yeah, sure. Like, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because for the most of my young kind of childhood, being a competitive sports person just was a big part of that. Like you said, you know, whether it was swimming meets on weekends or it was surf life saving meets or, you know, there was a very big competitive element to what we do. And, um, you know, I, I still, I don't know if I'm still that competitive, but I think it still drives me. You know, there's, I still want to be good at what I do. I still want to produce a good product. I still want to um, uh, serve well, you know. I think it's just this, this mentality of doing the best we can do. And um, I think I really would love that to be an extension of what I do now that I, when I'm serving somebody or doing something for somebody else, whether it's surfing or photography or just, just socially in my community, I want to do that to the best of my ability. So it's amazing how one can take that uh, competitiveness of sports and it can and kind of really be used in a really positive way, you know. So, you know, I'm not one to sit back and uh, A, not, not be active, um, but I also look very carefully for good opportunities. And when those doors present themselves, I really want to go through those and give it my all. And um, yeah, in, in photography, it's very easy to be put down. You know, somebody might say something negative about your work or you might not get the job you wanted or the magazine might not publish the picture you hope would be published. And that a lot of people struggle with that, you know, that kind of negativity. I've seen great photographers, um, you know, not be able to get past those things. And I think it's important as any creative person, um, it is so subjective as well. Don't let that stuff get to you. And, um, and just if you've got that hunger and drive for what you love to do, you've got to pursue it, you know, despite those small hurdles. So, yeah, I think you're right. Competitiveness and the drive and the passion, you need that in your life to kind of get through and, and make it forward. So sticking to the, the subject of swimming, and you are a premier uh, swimmer uh, and, and uh, water photographer. So what is it that you do on a so 
maybe daily basis or just in your lifestyle to keep that high level of fitness. And um, I'm sure it stretches all the way back to your time when you were a, a young nipper. But to this day, what is, what is your routine to, um, to stay fit? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I don't know if I've, <laughs> I haven't been feeling that fit lately. Um, it's been quite active with family life at the moment. But yeah, look, I think um, a key part of what I do, and it's a, it's a great reminder, every winter here in South Africa, we get the very big ocean swells coming. And, you know, whether it's Skeleton Bay in Namibia or whether it's the big wave spots like Dungeons here in Cape Town, if we, if we as water photographers don't say fit, we, we physically cannot do our job. You know, I've had a couple of scares over the last two years where I've swum in really, really serious ocean conditions. And for whatever reason, I just felt like I wasn't the best that I could be. I wasn't at the top of my game. So it's a good, it's a good reminder. You know, it just shows you as, as we get older, we need to maintain fitness. We need to re maintain good nutrition. So yeah, look, I, I eat pretty healthily at home, but um, I'm also not... Um, you know, too pedantic about it. I think a good all-round nutrition is important. And, um, you know, I try to get at least a, a, some sort of form of exercise every morning. I'll drop the kids off at school and then it'll either be some sort of home training or body gym workout. That's probably only once a week, but then I try my very best to get down into the sea. Um, I actually really enjoy a lot of stand-up paddleboarding because it's very good for the core. And where we live, there's a lot of outside reefs and no one's no one surfs those. They're all kind of very wobbly, wedgy kind of waves. And that's great for, for a paddle workout and for the core. And then I try and do a couple of swims a week as well. Um, where I live in Komiki, there's an incredible bay that's called the Kom. And it's it's like, there isn't, I haven't seen a more natural swimming pool that's out in the ocean as, as the Kom. And it's about 160 meters across. So I train that as much as I can. Um, there are also a couple of beautiful channels through the bull kelp. We've got a lot of kelp in, in Cape Town and there's some beautiful channels that I swim as well, which, which is great. So yeah, I think I've always been um, a big proponent of like uh, cross body training workouts. I also do a lot of trail running. We've got a mountain just up behind my house. So whether it's trail running, swimming, stand up paddling, a bit of surfing, I try kind of mix it up and make sure that my body is you know well-maintained. I mean, I think you, you'll realize this with, as a parent too, with our kids, the kids always want to do something different, whether it's skating or surfing or running. And um, I, want to, I want to try and keep all my muscle groups um, you know, fit for all these different activities rather than just doing only one type of training. So yeah, I think um, I, I just like to be active. Uh, so in any given day, if I've just sat only in the office, I can feel my body's not you know, itself and I actually struggle to rest at night. So yeah, a little bit of activity every day keeps me going. Beautiful words to live by. Um, you're you're in a very great location to go all over Africa. I've seen just incredible photos on your Instagram feed uh, of just pristine locations with um, you know no one around, no buildings. Um, you're you're going to be swimming in these locations. What are your kind of safety protocols, your checklists you go through before you say, "Hey, I'm swimming out here. I'm doing it." And maybe it's a place you haven't swum before. Um, maybe you have swum there before, kind of give us an idea of um, what it is you think through mentally before putting on the fins and going out there with the camera and swimming with one arm. Yeah, look, um, I think one of the things that I, I, I don't know if safety is always the first thing that comes to mind. I think for me, a lot of times I just really want to capture a place, um, capture its essence. 
and I want to be able to show viewers really what I'm seeing, like put people into the space that I'm very privileged to be in. Um, number two, I'm often working for either a surfer, whether I'm traveling with Mikey February and we're trying to work on something specific or whether I'm working for the service journal for a feature in a magazine and sometimes even for a brand, you know, whether it's for bands or somebody. And like I said before, I really want to give it my all and do my best. So I'll, I'll look at a situation and see how, how can I best capture this and do my job the best. And then I think thirdly is the safety element. I will look at obviously the currents. Uh, is, is there a big current line? And you, you will know this from surf lifesaving. Like you just see the ocean and it's becoming a bit second nature now, but um, I'm trying to teach my children this as well. Is there a current going out to sea in a certain direction? How big are the waves? Um, where's my exit point? You know, once I get into the sea, that's the one part of it. Sometimes there's huge cliff faces. How am I going to get back in? Um, and for me, once I've kind of looked at that all, a big part of my approach, I do, I do pray. Um, I pray before I've even got to the beach. I pray while I'm at the beach. I even pray while I'm in the water just to kind of get um, that sense of peace and focus about how this is going to play out and that I might be guided um, both creatively and in the physical presence, you know, to be in the right place. A lot of those lineups that you would have seen in my, my photographs sometimes are very big playing fields. So take, take Namibia, for example, in Skeleton Bay, it's like a two kilometer long point. You know, it's just over one and a half miles long. And that's a lot of, lot of water to be kind of in and, and where do I sit? So, um, yeah, I could relay some interesting stories, but you know, there, there are trips with, that I've done with Craig Anderson, for example, in 2012, he was one person that I had to get a picture of, and it was a specific picture for Surfing Magazine. And there were 30 guys in the lineup over this massive lineup, and you wanted him on a set wave. And to be in the right place, it was just, you know, it's almost like uh, an impossible feat, you know. And, um, you know, coming away from that with a picture that I finally got placed in the, in the Surfing Magazine and as a spread, and it's one of my favorite shots of all time. Um, to have come away with that, you really feel like you've been divinely kind of moved and, and you know, your prayers have been answered. So yeah, I do a lot of, uh, like I said, visualization of the lineup. I pray and then I, um, yeah, I, I also listen to my body. Sorry, the last point is I'm very cautious about listening to how my body feels. I think a lot of us can unfortunately feel like, hey, well, we can go for four hours. And as soon as I can feel my legs or my body are tired or there's a cramp coming, I, I close the door on that session and I go in and I then go shoot from the land, you know. I think we mustn't be too prideful to think that we must, you know, spend six hours in the water just because we are a good swimmer. So it's important to listen to one's body and then um, take a humble step back and go shoot something different. And, you, and I'm always surprised by the, you know, the different things that I've got from shooting land, yeah. So what, was there a point in your career where maybe you would throw your body more to the lion's and, and go to really, because it sounds like um, the demands of the editorial side are such that if you don't get that shot you need, you're going to um, you know, be disappointed possibly at the end of the day. And uh, working through those maybe physical struggles um, might've uh, uh, got you to the point you need to be. Was there such a time um, where, or a story where you um, uh, went through this sort of case that you could share? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, I think there were two different stories. I mean, in, in Southern Africa, we also have to deal a lot with, with sharks and it's specifically great whites and bull sharks or the Zambezi sharks. And I mean, I've had sessions where I've kind of really had, you know, and I've always relied on feeling um, both in the physical sense and the spiritual sense, like 
am I, am I, should I be out here or am I in the right place? And I've had those feelings before where, man, I, I don't know if I should be in this lineup, you know, and, you know, I've prayed about it and got some sort of peace and then stayed a bit longer and then got an incredible picture. Or like I started to relate to you before, I've had sessions when there have been big wave sessions and I've jumped out over these cliffs. There's a, there's a spot here in Cape Town that you have to launch off a cliff to get into. And then when you come back in, you've got to time it with the swells and got to climb up the cliff. And uh, it's, it's like a, you know, a, a 10 to 15 foot wave that's a slab. And I remember being out for about three hours and starting to get these cramps and thinking, okay, I better go in, but um, let me get one more shot type of thing. And you're right. Then you kind of just pray like, please may I have the right stamina for that last moment. And I get a final shot and I'm like, okay, I've got it. And then swimming in and realizing maybe I might've kept it a little bit too long and <laughs> feel like, uh, you know, being back on land is such a blessing. But yeah, there, there are times when you, you need to be very, um, I'm trying to, I'm going to forget the word now, but you know, you need to listen to all those things that you're feeling and you've got to like uh, make the right decisions. So yeah, there'll be times when you push the envelope a little bit and then there's times when you should step back. And I think it's very important to, to know those differences. And like you, like you said, you, you get to know your own body and you get to know those boundaries that you can push yourself beyond. Incredible. Uh, you've been all throughout Africa over many years. What is the um, the one spot or time period where or moment where you you said to yourself, "Wow, that that is just the best." You you close your eyes you're, and you're like, "Boom!" That situation, that that time, that period was like was the paramount. <laughs> yeah, there's there are a number of spots in and in Africa that I feel like that. I mean. I think it's the point breaks, especially, you know, you would have seen a number of incredible sand bottom point breaks in Africa. There's something so special about a point break that at that length with that amount of sand um, and the swell and the angle and the winds, there are so many more elements that need to come together for a sand point break to be exceptional. And those are such a rarity in any given day or year. Um, you know, I think about normal beach breaks and slabs, those things exist and you just, they're not needed as many things, but I mean, there's a picture behind me over here on the wall of Jordy Smith at this one wave in Mozambique. And that moment over there is one of those standout moments, you know, uh, that's the only time I've ever seen the spot like this in all my years of photography. And, and then to actually be in the water and then a guy like Jordy Smith takes off on one of the few set waves. This, this swell only lasted for four hours in total. And uh, I mean, literally as soon as that session was done, the waves almost felt like they went flat. And anyway, Jordy's a very tall human and you can see how big that barrel is. And he just came past me and I was in the water and, you know, we just lined up the shot and we got it. And that was like, I've never had that moment again. So yeah, for me, and also a place like um, Mozambique, the water's warm, it's blue. Um, it's, it's almost too easy in some ways. Uh, and also this point break specifically doesn't get a lot of uh, ocean current. So I'm not like fighting the ocean current for like three hours. So it's just a beautiful place. So yeah, um, they're like three or four, sand bottom points in Africa that just stand out and I just daydream about them going back, you know, one day. Um, Namibia is another one. Namibia is obviously a lot more uh, intense and a lot more hardcore and ruthless, but it's beautiful in its own way. Um, but yeah, I think the sand bottom points in Africa are by far standouts. Incredible. What is, what is it that you do to time such a swell in such a way that you are there in the channel, the right place, the right time with Jordy Smith and, um, and then the second part to the question is, how do you mentally uh, decompress when you can't be there, when you know it, it is going off? 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, look, uh, the way I, I, I'm always kind of watching out for the, for any given swell in the world, um, but most specifically Africa. And um, unfortunately, COVID's made that very, very difficult. You know, I've been on standby to go back to Mozambique because it's actually it's almost the end of the Mozambican season. We've also just had the kind of the ending of the Moroccan season up in North Africa. And I'm just always constantly on the lookout for the regions of the regions of Africa that get swells. And, you know, for me, the biggest part of that preparation has actually been the time that I've spent with people from those regions over the last 20, 20 plus years. I think no trip have I ever done before, um, you know, that you've kind of done completely on your own call and, you know, you get it first time, you know, that's very rare. Um, a lot of, and I say this to a lot of people, I think the greatest asset and the greatest strength of any photographer are the relationships that we nurture over the, you know, over time. So I've got a whole bunch of good, good friends in the different regions. And likewise, they pick my brand about South Africa and I pick their brand about other regions. And um, over those years, those guys have obviously been so kind to share, you know, knowledge and that knowledge has become my knowledge and, and vice versa. They've learned from me and, uh, you know, we share that knowledge. And once you've got that knowledge, then you can look at the swell charts and whether it's Surfline or, or it's Windy TV or Winguru, I'll always cross-reference all the charts and see, okay, cool, the direction's good, the wind's good. And once those things and all those elements come into play, then we'll go make a, make a call. Um, I usually have a number of surfers on speed dial for missions like that. And those guys are, uh, you know, I think it's, I'm very grateful to have had very successful trips. And a lot of surfers know that and they're quite, uh, you know, obviously they, they back that and they're very keen to go back to an, on another trip. So, yeah, that's great to have those guys on standby. And then, yeah, we'll just jump and go. Um, to answer your second part of the question, just decompress. Um, you know, yeah, it's interesting when you're actually on a trip, you very seldom really fully appreciate what you're experiencing. It's, it becomes so surreal. You know, these things are so rare that when you do experience them, you just can't fully understand or process it until you come home. And even today, five years down the line, I'll look at my hard drive and I'll look at pictures and I'll just start to reminisce and really start to extract that information. And like you said, just really decompress and realize how special those things are and, and, and what we've got from them. And I'll, and then all the other stories will come into play. The people that I've met, the taxi drivers, the food I've eaten, the people we've hung out with, and all those beautiful memories will come back afresh. And um, yeah, it's incredible the power of, of photography and videography um, to remind ourselves and to almost bring back those memories. So um, yeah, a lot of people will ask me, oh, don't you just wanna go surf those spots? And, and, and how do you decide between shooting photos and, and surfing, you know, cause I am a surfer. And I'll say to the guys, it's quite easy, you know, I get to surf a lot at home in Cormacchi and Cape Town, which is a blessing. But on those trips, uh, you know, a single photograph, like a memory, like I've got on the wall will last a lifetime, both for me and Geordie and the people that see it. So there's so much more and there's so much more longevity out of taking an image or capturing a video than maybe surfing yourself. Um, not to say that I've, <laughs> I, I love getting to surf overseas and when I travel, but yeah, photography really, there's something special about the power of photography. So deep in that, uh, you speak of nostalgia in that way. When you are traveling, you are a, a very um, a deep family man, I can, I can tell. How, how do you oscillate between the family and the work, um, specifically when you are on the move? Yeah, look, um, it, it was, it was I, I won't uh, lie to you, it was very difficult in the early years before social media and phones and, and internet connectivity. You know, I'd be off the grid for two to three weeks, whether it was in the middle of Africa or sometimes in Indonesia or wherever. 
and it was a, a def, it definitely weighed on me not being with the family and spending time with them or just to be able to communicate and 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 on those early years when your children are very young they seem to grow up very quickly and you miss moments so that definitely was a struggle for me and um but with today's internet and, and connectivity I, i've almost never not had a connection of some sort and my wife she's just really amazing she's one of the most understanding people i know and she will just send me regular updates and pictures and videos. So I, I feel like I'm still connected and that helps me to get my job done. And we both know that we just need to kind of get through one day at a time and focus on the job at hand. Um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't, I don't travel for too long. You know, in South Africa, a lot of South Africans um, travel abroad, whether they're working on the super yachts or whether they, they dive in or doing rope access work. And those guys will be away for like six months at a time. And, I don't know how they do it. So, you know, two to three weeks is, is bearable. Um, and then I'll come home. And the great thing with, with my work is I do a lot of work at the office when I am home, but my time's completely my own. So when I do get home, I can spend time with the family. And I've done the numbers. When I look at a normal nine to five office dad who drives to, to, to the office, um, I, I definitely am home with the family a lot more than, than the nine to five. So in, in that way, the benefit of my work, I do get a lot of time with the family. So very grateful for that. So yeah, it's an it's interesting balance. And um, I think sometimes if you miss your family too much and you just focus on wanting to be home, then you're not present in the now of your trip and you kind of don't, you know, you miss moments and um, you're not really present. Very good. Where outside of Africa um, have you been that you are, are just itching to get back to or that place in your mind where you're like that, that, uh, foreign destination was just the, the the tops yeah i think i mean look africa is a big place uh it doesn't seem like it's in a continent it seems like it's a whole separate world so there's a lot of places so I've, i have spent a lot of time here over the last 20 years but um i spent a great deal of time in, in indonesia in my early years um I, I mean there's so many places there just alone but i think the place that really kind of still uh brings back so many memories and i would love to get back to is in is india actually um, the outside islands of India, there's so many good waves on the east and west coast of India that uh, I'm itching to go back there. Um, I actually had a trip planned with Mikey February this year, but COVID hit, so that kind of got put on the back burner, but definitely wanting to get back there for sure. I haven't heard much about, about an Indian um, surf culture. What is this, the coastal culture like there in India? Are there surfers? Yeah, for sure. There's like a, there's a full Indian Surf Federation um, there, I actually met the first, and I don't think he's the only one now, but the, one of the first Indian surf photographers, um, his, his name was Ram, and a uh, really great guy, great photographer, and um, yeah, there's, there is a, there's a whole surf yogis kind of movement um, on the west coast of India, there's like, there's, there, are, there are definitely like hubs of surf culture, and um, surf culture in India has definitely grown as much, if not more, than the, the surf cultures in Africa, so it's very exciting to see, and um, you know, I think we're going to increasingly see a lot, a lot of growth in the third world's surf cultures, you know, because traditionally surfing has always been almost like a Western uh, uh, cultured thing, you know, even though surfing has its roots in places like Africa, Polynesia, and even in South America, um, there's a lot of movement in Africa, India, South America. So it's very exciting to see. And how is that level of surfing you're witnessing? Yeah, look, it's... Um, I mean, I just read the service journal now about the guys in Papua New Guinea and the guys that are riding those wooden boards, uh, the balsa boards, and the level of surfing is incredible from what I saw. And Sam in Africa, the guys, 
the, the actual the innate historical water knowledge that people possess is, 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 is incredible. Look, they might not be able to go do an air on a wave in the first few years that they surf, uh, you know, and, and that's just completely different style of surfing. But if you look at the people in West Africa, for example, those guys have been in the water, in the waves, canoeing, stand-up paddleboarding for, for as long as they can recall their history, you know. And the guys are all incredibly well-built, um, muscular. And I watched guys negotiate uh, waves in Ghana uh, a few years ago that I just blew my mind that the, the, the knowledge of how the waves work and when they throw their nets out. So these guys are just, they're fishermen that have been fishing for their whole lives, their, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, and the water just comes second nature to them. And um, yeah, it's exciting to see these guys picking up surfboards and that skill. Uh, you know, you, there's, um, I can't remember how many new countries have been added to the World Surfing kind of federation, but I think Africa in the last year or two has added so many more and I think there's a real growth in surfing, both in West Africa and in South South Africa, um, or Southern Africa, sorry. And uh, it's exciting to see. That's super incredible to hear. Uh, does, um, how, do, how do you view the Olympics um, coming in to the scene and bringing on this new crop of people who might not have um, been surfing over these decades, but now have picked it up? Do you see them um, in the coming years, um, you know, competing at a, at a, at a level um, with the guys from the QS? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I can't really speak to that, you know, that to see how quickly those nations will be competing with the likes of Brazil and Australia and America, you know, but I think it's really exciting to see that we live in a world where uh, people are cross-nationed and cross-cultured, you know, it's amazing to see there's a guy that might live in Portugal, but he's actually Italian, or there might be a person that was Indian, but he lives in Australia, and then, you know, so there's this amazing amalgamation of people and cultures and surfing. It's, it, you can see that, you know, in the old days, it'd just be Australians, Americans, and maybe a Brazilian on tour. Now, you know, you've got a full spectrum mix, and it's exciting to see that the Japanese, the Chinese, these guys are all, you know, knocking on the door. And um, yeah, look, as as the Olympics really opens up surfing in a more kind of mainstream thing. I think it's going to be good for surfing in so many different ways. You know, we, we find ourselves in probably the most interesting time ever in surfing where there are less surf magazines, less surf brands. Uh, it seems so much more difficult to market surfing than it's ever been before, yet there are more surfers than ever. And after this COVID year, we've had weighted sales, surfboard sales, any core good sales have just skyrocketed. You know, more people want to be in the ocean than ever before. And if you add Olympics to that, if you add surfing events, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see where surfing grows. Um, you know, surfing's in some ways moved away from its coreness and, and its style-orientated beauty. Like, you know, skating, I don't think ever really sold out. Skating's always been very core to that, to their, um, you know, their following. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, even wave pools, we talk about wave pools. Wave pools is going to open up surfing in a whole different way. You know, it's different to ocean surfing. Um, it's a more controlled environment for one. But I don't think any of that stuff, Olympics, surf pools, I don't think any of that's bad in any which way. I think it's good for the whole sport in general. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that's going to benefit surfing in its holistic approach in the next few years. As a professional artist, a professional photographer who's uh, dealt mainly or uh, predominantly over the years with um, print media, and um, with that, that decline, as you say, but the increase of surfing more um, uh, to, to the world, as we just discussed, where do you see the business of surf photography going uh, here in the future? Sure, look, I think we've always been a little bit uh, concerned, I guess, over the last you know, 20 years when 
print media became digital media, um, you know, film cameras became digital cameras, and then obviously the huge influx of social media. And now we have seen a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of magazines have been kind of closed down, both during COVID and just because of digital media. Um, but through those concerns and worries about will we have a place as a servitorifer, I think there always will be a place. I think there's less places, unfortunately. Um, you know, you would have seen when Surfer Magazine closed, all of their staff photographers and their senior photographers have had to find other places for work to be published or just different avenues for work. And so that, that has narrowed quite a lot. But, you know, a few years ago, somebody asked me the question is, what is the future of surf photography? And I said it then, and, I, and you can clearly see it now that surf photographers need to diversify into the, the world of film and media. So, you know, a lot of guys, myself included, on are shooting more and more video than, than stills. So I think it's like you're just having to wear a lot more, you know, different hats these days. And, you know, it makes sense, though, because if, you, if you're framing up a beautiful still frame on your still camera, it's not that different framing that up for a video camera. I mean, you've got to know a little bit more, but, and you've got to let that moment breathe a bit longer. But video has been a beautiful addition to the still side of things. Um, I also do a lot of writing. And, um, you know, if you look at the original classic guys who were the Surfer Magazine contributors, you look at, you know, Ron Stoners and you look at all the greats, a lot of these, these guys were writers, filmers, videographers. It was just like you did all of that creativity and you, and you, you could do it all or you tried your best at least. And I feel like we're getting back to that. Um, and yeah, it's difficult to make, make a living in surf photography. It always has been actually though. It was always one of those things where don't just do surf photography. Like a few people make it, but I think you need to do, never say no to wedding photography or portraits or you know any other form because that's what grooms you and molds you. you know? um, I'm, I'm definitely all the happier and greater for having done eight or nine years of wedding photography. You just get to know people so well. And, you know, wildlife photography and architecture, that stuff, you know, keeps your eye open for when you travel and you see beautiful stuff on the road as a surf traveler. So, you know, I think, um, I think surf photographers or photographers in general should never turn down any work, you know, even the small little jobs, you need to just grow. And, and, and um, yeah, I think it's important just to be open to any opportunities. And um, yeah, well, it's fascinating to see where we're gonna go from, yeah. Epic advice. So when you're in the water, I, I, your most recent post, um, uh, you, you were in this really blue setup and in the background, it was a video shot on Instagram. I heard the, I heard the firing of the, um, of the camera going at the same time. Is that a, a common um, occurrence for you these days, shooting video and photo in the same moment? Yeah, look, um, those are more behind the scenes. I wouldn't really shoot my video work like that. I mean, that was just, I'm doing stills. I have to do stills. So let me just put a GoPro on because you never know. I might get a cool moment. Uh, so I that was a GoPro it. working with the camera. Yeah. So I've got a GoPro on top of my stills housing. And it's just cool to get a behind the scenes moment. And like you said, you can hear me like shouting in the background and you can hear the click of the camera. I could have taken that audio off, but I kind of just liked it for that moment. It was just like sharing that happiness of what it felt like to get that shot. But yeah, when it comes to shooting dedicated video work, I've got a, uh, a Sony A7S III with a beautiful housing and I will shoot specifically that now for video. Um, so yeah, like the film days, we had to decide before we closed up our housings, we had to decide on all the settings before we swam. I feel like I've come full circle now where I've got to decide, do I want to shoot video today or do I want to shoot uh, stills today? Because, um, you know, you need to kind of commit to one or the other and you can do that really well. And um, like I said, you can always throw the GoPro on top for extra bonus footage. Um, but yeah, just uh, 
it's exciting. You know, you never know what any day might present and you've got to be very aware of your surroundings. Once again, look at what you want to achieve on that specific day for either a client or, or a, you know, publication and then, uh, and then commit to that and do your very best with the, the medium you, you're working with. Such great advice. A few more questions. What have you um, not accomplished professionally that you still would like to accomplish professionally? Um, yeah, I think in the last year or two, I've, I've managed to accomplish one of the other things I really wanted to do, and that was to kind of create uh, short documentary films. Um, I don't know if your viewers or you have watched Mirage, which was the film my colleague and I made on Skeleton Bay, and I'm very, very stoked with that. Um, and I would love to spend a lot more time in doing short documentary films, um, not just surf films. I would love to do a lot more environmental and conservation films as well. So that's kind of where I'm kind of moving. Um, I, I wouldn't say completely moving away from serving, but just adding to the you know portfolio. But um, I just would love to be present in the time that I'm in now to continue to make uh, good media, whether it's a magazine um, or, a, or a film production or, yeah. So for me, it's just continue adding to what I've already got. And I think the most important thing is you got to keep busy to be relevant in today's markets. Um, and I think as long as you're producing good content um, on a regular basis, I think that that's how you maintain relevancy. And I think the key part of it is not so much just the content, but it's those relationships. Like I said, maintaining great relationships with surfers, with, you know, locals from different areas, with, you know, publications. It's just continuing to invest in those relationships. That's really what's going to make a difference to anybody's career and their life. Yes, and that video is super epic, and I'm going to put it in the comments section of this video. And uh, what, in, in that regard, Skeleton Bay just seems like a, a totally just out of this world setup location. Uh, the first time I saw it was when Corey Lopez uh, brought it to America a few years ago. Uh, when when you you go to shoot a documentary um, about such a place, what kind of is your uh, philosophy when when cutting footage uh, out of out of it or do you do you come in with an idea of how you want it shot and then cut or do you just do the work and then the philosophy begins what's your process yeah i, I like i like how you asked that question like uh right now we're making a short film about one of the big wave spots in south africa and it's going to be on the service journal site in about three four weeks time so check it out congratulations but Thank you, man. Yeah, so, and it's exactly what you just brought up. I, I, I started to approach it like, okay, is there a specific thing I need to be chasing here? And I think I've realized through all the processes that the best way to do it is, is an organic approach. Like in life, when I go on a trip, I can't, if I pursue something so specifically and I've got such a expectation, you, you kind of almost set yourself up for a failure because life just doesn't always happen the way you want it to. And I think it's really important to go on any trip or approach any media production or any topic with an open mind and an organic approach because then you open yourself up to great extra you know opportunities and you're able to then take on all this great other stories and great content and you mold the story as you go i mean both the namibia documentary and even the one i'm working on now i've just realized as i work through the process beautiful things come along and then i add that to it and the story kind of maybe takes a life of its own so i think you need to be very aware and open to those um those kind of beautiful subtle movements and changes and and you obviously got your base storyline but then you can just add to that and I, I think also a lot of times it's just been humble enough to take advice from others I mean I'm constantly learning from so many different people and so many more people are presenting new content to me maybe a new clip or a beautiful moment that I can add to the story and it's been humble enough to say okay I'll take a step back 
delete that other one, let's add this one in. And then you just see how the process just evolves. Um, so it's exciting. It's just an organic process of just seeing and, and, and making it as, as you go along. Yeah. Well said, such great advice. Again, um, last two questions. What advice do you have for uh, your kids, the kids out there, the, the, the kids at heart who want to uh, pursue this, this, uh, this field, this game, this project of water photography, ocean photography, surf photography, art? Um, yeah, look, I think, I think as humans, we are creative people, you know? you look at the way that the world's becoming more and more automated. And one of the things that they can't automate or not yet anyway, or hopefully not is our creativity as humans. And I think no matter what we do in life, we need to have a creative element to our life, you know, um, and that com comes in any different forms. But if, if you're keen on surf photography or you're keen on any kind of art form, it's just to follow your passion on that. And, uh, you know, just, don't ever be too scared to ask a question from anybody in your circle or even those who are not in your circle reach out to somebody on instagram and i hope um you know i did this as a young young kind of budding photographer or artist was just to ask so many people questions and those that were willing to share i'm still friends with today and, and i like to give back to others who ask me because i feel like that's how we all learn as humans we ask questions and you go back to the, the origins of humankind and we, we always would relay oral, oral traditions to each other. We would, we would share stories with each other and we'd learn from each other. Um, I find it so sad when people try and keep things close to their heart and they don't share stuff because, you know, the, the things that are special in this world are meant to be shared and we're meant to kind of interact over them as humans. So don't ever be scared to ask questions. Um, you know, if you don't get an answer today, I promise you, you'll get one eventually. So just keep knocking on those doors and seeking and you'll, you'll find them. And um, just to put the time in, you know, like it doesn't happen overnight and there's no fast, quick way to make money or make a career happen. So just be willing to commit to the time and to, to run the race all the way to the end. You know, it's important to stick with what you want to do. I, I try and instill this in my kids to like when they commit to something, stick to it. And that's where the real reward comes, you know, after that time is put in. And um, yeah, and just be, like I said earlier, don't put too much expectation on yourself too early on. Just let life happen and, and discover it and, and, and embrace it because beautiful things happen and that's when it's exciting and you're just aware and open to it. So much of art is uh, the decision and then the next decision. What, and so much of that is uh, self-criticism and then taking criticism from others. How do you handle that? Yeah, like, like I said earlier, I just, I think I wish more people had that humble approach to their own lives, because I think when you can humbly take a step back and accept advice from somebody else, that's when you really grow. Um, I, I think it's extremely difficult for humans to grow just on their own. And it's, it's, it make, it, life is so much more difficult when you're just only learning from your own mistakes, when you get to hear from others and you get to accept others' advice, that's when you just grow so much more. And the key thing is that you don't just grow on yourself, you're growing with others, you know, that connection, once again, that relationship, once again, um, it's, it's a really important thing, I think, to be accountable to yourself. Uh, one of my favorite things is to share things with some of my close friends, and then they share stuff with me, and then, you know, you just, you, you can just, you know, sharpen each other, you know, just from that, that relationship. So it's very important to take people's advice, and yeah, for me, uh, it's not always easy sometimes if somebody says something negative, but I've really learned over the years to, to take that on, take a step back and to see it from their side and to process that and, and actually then add it to whatever I'm doing. And I'm always better for it.
do you have something inside of you that sometimes uh, will bite you in yourself? Um, not so much. I think my, one of my weaknesses uh, is always trying to maybe please too many people and, and always be like a yes person. Um, you know, sometimes it's more like, just hold on, I'll, I'll get to that. Or, you know, I can't do it right now. You know, it took me a long time to get to a point where I, you know, almost let somebody down initially so that I can then fulfill that in the, in the future. You know, sometimes I take too much on and then I would start to drop some of the balls that I've got up in the air and then you kind of let people down, you know? So it's important to be able to take a look at exactly what your time is like and what you can offer and then say, cool, I'll get to that. And then, you know, just manage your time well, because that's also how you can then help others, you know? Yeah. So I think for me, it was just taking on sometimes too much and then you think you can do it all. And uh, you realize you're only human and you can only do so much. Last question, Alan. Uh, ten, let's go 10,000 feet up. What, what is the meaning of life? Can you give us some uh, grand knowledge here to, to, to close us out? Yeah, look, uh, I hope I'm not harping on about it, but the only reason we're here is because of relationships. And uh, for me, that's relationship with our creator and it's relationships with each other. And if we were here on our own, life would not be cool. If we were here just to live for each other, you can see how that society gets just pulled down by that demise of living for ourselves. So for, for me, the, the meaning of life is just to really to live there, to be with each other. And uh, it's to build relationships up and to really connect and uh, connect for, for, for lifelong. Um, you know, yeah, we just, uh, in, any, in any given day, if you can go out trying to connect and live with others, you're going to have these incredible experiences yourself anyway. But if you step out of the door and you're like, hey, I just want to go do this thing on my own, man, it's, it's not going to, you know, your life's going to be that much more, uh, you know, unfulfilled in my opinion. So yeah, just value those relationships and spend time with them and um, really invest in them as much as you can. Well, Alan, thank you for investing the time in with us today and uh, giving us the, this love and all the, the experiences and stories that, that you have. Uh, it, it's just been super incredible and informative to me and I hope to uh, others who uh, listen and view this in the future. Thank you, Sean, all the best, God bless. Thank you. Wow. Wow, that was an incredible conversation with Alan Van Eysen. The man is an extreme legend as you just saw and the, the knowledge, the just great breadth of information he dropped was just incredible. And we thank him so much for his time and generosity with it. And we thank you for your time and listening. This has been episode four of Speaking From Water. And we will join you next time with episode five, where we go, we don't know. But the world will bring us there. Till then, I hope you have peace in your heart and a fulfilled cup of water. Blessings.